0: Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 257. A couple of quick corrections before we begin. During last week's episode, I was reading a National Geographic article that addressed the prediction that the world would supposedly end on Saturday, September 23rd. And by the way, last Saturday came and went and the world's still turning. Anyone else notice that? Well, the article also addressed other failed doomsday predictions, and I mistakenly linked the word millenarianism to the Millerite movement. My friend Crocoduck, using another alias, stepped in and alerted me to my mistake. Here's what he had to say. One other thing, millenarianism isn't a reference to the Millerites, William Miller, or the Great Disappointment. Rather, it's from millennial or a thousand-year period. And while evangelical Christianity certainly is millenarian, millenarianism is not a term that is exclusively Christian. Instead, it's used for other religions that are also apocalyptic and believe that the current age will end and some sort of transformation is imminent. Speaking of the Millerites and The Great Disappointment, I just re-released an old episode entitled The Great Disappointment and Other Failed End Times Predictions. I believe it was originally episode 120, and I thought it would be a good time to re-release it seeing as it kind of ties into last week's episode. But thanks to Crocoduck for keeping me honest, I appreciate it. I've mentioned repeatedly on the show how one of my biggest fears doing this podcast is that I might end up putting bad information out there, or getting something wrong, and, you know, it it might go uncorrected. Uh, Without trying to sound corny, this show is supposed to be about intellectual honesty and trying to get as close as possible to the truth. So if anyone out there ever hears me goof or say something that doesn't quite sound right, don't be afraid to let me know. You'll be doing me a favor. I was almost going to say something very ironic. I was going to say, thank God for Crocoduck. Uh, It's a figure of speech, people. But in seriousness, Crocodile's a good friend to have, a very funny and irreverent guy, and yet at the same time also very well-read and very knowledgeable. His knowledge of all things theological and biblical definitely dwarfs my own. Uh, So once again, uh, thanks, brother. And on top of issuing this correction, I'll probably go back into the YouTube version and add an annotation card as well. But anyway, let's see, what else did I mess up? Oh yeah, I was talking about possible scenarios which could actually result in the end of the world or destruction of the Earth. Cherry stuff, I know. And I mentioned the death of the sun, but for some reason I accidentally said the heat death of the sun. Heat death is a term which is usually used when referring to the potential end of the universe, where the universe runs out of thermodynamic free energy or something like that. Uh, I think it's also referred to as the big chill or the big freeze. So anyway, I realized my mistake about a half an hour after publishing the episode, so I opened up GarageBand, went back in, re-recorded that bit, and re-upped it. So if you downloaded the episode early enough, you might have caught me using "heat death out of context. And while we're at it, let's really get neurotic and nitpicky. Why not? Let's go crazy. So I think uh, there was a couple of times, well, one time I goofed, one time the author goofed while reading that National Geographic article. Uh, At one point, it read a word of difference, and I said a world of difference. I actually added an annotation for that already in the YouTube version. And uh, then it, it was written this way, and I thought it looked kind of peculiar too. The author of the article referred to it as the book of revelations, plural, where it's usually referred to as the book of revelation or the revelation to John, the apocalypse of John. Uh, there's a number of names, but Crocodile pointed out how he thought you know that was odd of the author. So I just thought I'd mention that too. So if you picked up on that, that was the author. What was his last name? Greshko or whatever. Not me. Ha <laughs> ha! Throw an old Greshko under the bus. I just took a look and double checked, and yeah, the last name's Greshko. I didn't want to have to come back next week and correct that. Uh, But anyway, this next one isn't a correction, I just thought was funny. Last week I also discussed this kind of comically disturbing story out of London, where it turned out enough people were shopping for terrorists or bomb-making materials on Amazon, that supposedly Amazon's algorithm started suggesting quote-unquote bomb-making materials to people purchasing things like lawn fertilizer or ball bearings or whatever. And in response, friend and listener Jody Mack said, will Amazon?" Zod's little drones deliver the bombs. I like that dark sense of humor. Uh, let's see, I just remembered that Crocoduck also told me that The Exorcist TV show returns for its second season uh, this Friday, the 29th. I consider that show to be one of my guilty pleasures. As I've talked about before, I saw The Exorcist as a little kid and it basically scarred me for life. I had reoccurring nightmares about that movie that stretched well into my 20s. So uh, I'm fascinated by anything that has to do with The Exorcist. Uh, I have kind of this weird love-hate relationship with the movie and this really kind of grudging respect for it. Uh, I think the series made some, the TV series, made some strange creative choices, and there's a lot of places where I would have gone in a different direction, and I also don't think the special effects are particularly scary. I wish they tried to emulate the effects from the original movie more, Uh, but that being said, I definitely still enjoy watching it, and I'll definitely be checking out the second season. Speaking of horror, my friend the Electric Owl via YouTube asked me what I had planned for this year's Halloween special. And uh, he had a good idea that maybe I should take a look at some local folklore. Uh, We both happen to live in New England, and I'm still leaving that option on the table. But I suddenly got the idea that maybe I should do a documentary about the Necronomicon. Um, It's something I always wanted to do, but I wasn't sure how to fit it into the show, and it's definitely a spooky enough subject uh, to fit the bill for the Halloween episode this year. And also, it it ties in or falls into the, the usual wheelhouse of the show because I'll be approaching it from a skeptical angle talking about its origins as kind of a plot device in the stories of H.P. Lovecraft, and then how it made its way into popular culture with the Evil Dead movies, and the creation of what's come to be known as the Simon Necronomicon. So that's another possibility, uh, but I haven't made any final decision yet. But I really like Electric Owl's suggestion, and and at some point, I I think that would still make for an awesome Halloween episode. So, kind of like last week, this episode isn't scripted, and uh, I'm not sure what the heck I wanted to talk about. Like I usually do, I I did save some news stories during the week. Okay, so here's a Huffington Post article entitled, Saudi Arabia Lifts Ban on Women Driving. And it looks like it's dated to the 26th, so just yesterday. And it's by Akbar Shahid Ahmed. And it starts off with a quote, I'm full of hope and optimism and joy and very proud today to be a Saudi woman, one student told HuffPost. Washington, Saudi Arabia is lifting its ban on women driving, officials said Tuesday, prompting applause from progressive Saudis, especially women, who have battled the policy for years and international commentators. And while I'm reading this, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, this is a very positive development. Absolutely, no question. But at the same time, you can't help t- but ask, "Eh, what took you so long?" But but anyway, the royal decree from King Salman bin Abdul Aziz Al Saud that's a mouthful, was announced almost simultaneously in Saudi Arabia via state television and in the capital of its most important partner, the United States, by the king's son and ambassador, Prince Khalid bin Salman, a reflection of Saudi's desire to improve their image abroad. And I'm not sure if it was this king in particular or maybe one of his heirs. I believe uh, this person was not crowned king until uh, just 2015, but I remember hearing something about perhaps some kind of progressive sea change might be in the works, Uh, but I don't want to shower them with too much praise just yet because I'm not sure how many hands and heads are still being cut off regularly in the Saudi kingdom. Let's see, I decided to look this guy up, (laughs) His Highness, on Wikipedia. Salman bin Abdulaziz al Saud. and they're spelling it differently here than the HuffPost article, was born December 1935, king of Saudi Arabia, custodian of the two holy mosques, and head of the House of Saad. Salman was crowned as the new king of Saudi Arabia on the 23rd of January 2015, following the death of his half-brother, King Abdullah. And so I noticed they have a section on human rights here, and uh, it's a little disconcerting. In February 2012, Ali Mohammed Bakr al-Namir, I think, was arrested for participating in and encouraging pro-democracy protests when he was either 16 or 17 years old. In May 2014, Ali al-Namir was sentenced to be crucified Despite the minimum age for execution being 18 when a crime is committed, Ali al-Namir has reported that he was tortured during his detention. As of the 23rd of September, 2015, the sentence awaited ratification by King Salman. In February 2000... Okay, let me see. So, uh, he was sentenced before this king was even crowned. And... I don't know what it says about the King's human rights record or stance necessarily. Um, I mean, it just says that his sentence is awaiting ratification, which I think means just awaiting official consent or, you know, awaiting for something to be signed or whatever, which I'm taking it. They mean awaiting approval for his crucifixion. I don't know. It's not necessarily a screaming endorsement of his human rights policies, or it doesn't really paint him as this champion of human rights. And it continues, in February 2015, a man from Hafar al-Batin, or Batin, I don't know, I'm sure I'm butchering that, was sentenced to death for rejecting Islam. In June 2015, Saudi Arabia's Supreme Court upheld the sentence of 1,000 lashes in 10 years in prison for Raif Badawi, a Saudi Arabian blogger who was imprisoned in 2012 after being charged for quote-unquote insulting Islam. So a thousand lashes and ten years in prison just for rejecting or quote-unquote insulting a man-made religion, for daring to use his brain and think independently. And that's how the little stub or the section on human rights and this king ends. So I don't know what they're saying. It doesn't really tell you what the king himself thinks about these cases. It's just kind of laying out these horrible cases that are going on during his reign. Uh, The one guy who's waiting to find out, I guess, if he's going to be crucified or not. And uh, then the Supreme Court uh, that held up this ruling or sentence of a thousand lashes and 10 years in prison. Well, I'll say this. I hope this isn't a fluke. I I hope regarding the sudden lifting of the ban on women driving. I I hope that this positive momentum lasts and and keeps going and that they continue to progress into the 21st century. Um, So I guess at best, maybe what we're seeing is a kingdom with a foot in two worlds, a foot in the barbaric past, and a foot tentatively being placed in the, um, the modern civilized world. And, and I hope that, like I said, I hope it's not a fluke, and that this proves to be a sign of things to come. I mean, those horrible stories about crucifixion and a thousand lashes, I mean, it makes you want to be sick to your stomach. But at the same time, you know, no, no matter how bad, or backwards, or barbaric, a system of government or a nation might be, I think when we see them making positive changes and trying to move forward, we should still welcome those changes, no matter how much we may resent other aspects and injustices going on in this culture. I mean, better late than never, right? And it's better that they start at least making incremental changes forward regarding human rights than staying where they are, or where they were. I think it's probably safe to say that they still have a long way to go, though, especially if, not to repeat myself, but at the moment under this king, we still have Cases like that one of someone waiting to find out whether or not they're going to be crucified. And that reminds me of a couple of times on the show. I forget the exact surah and verse or verses, but I've talked about in the past how there was this saying from the Quran that I used to really like, that I used to find inspirational. That if a man kills someone, if it's it's as if... He's murdered the world, and if a man saves one person or one life, it's as if he has saved the world. And it seems to be, you know, it's, it comes across as this very enlightened statement or view uh, about or on the worth, the value of human life. And yet, sadly right under those lines, and this is usually what you don't see. And I I did a whole uh, episode on, on this a while back, is that it talks about, I think it's, I think it might be talking about apostasy, but it talks about how the penalty shall be crucifixion or something like that. Okay, I found it. And just like if you're looking up A passage from the Bible. You depending on the translation, the wording might be a little different, but the gist is still the same. So let's see. Because of that, we decreed upon the children of Israel that whoever kills a soul, unless for a soul or for corruption done in the land, it is it is as if he had slain mankind entirely, and whoever saves one, it is as if he had saved mankind entirely. And our messengers had certainly come to them with clear proofs. Then, indeed, many of them, even after that, throughout the land, were transgressors. Indeed, the pen. And here are the uh, the two verses right after. Indeed, the penalty for those who wage war against Allah and His messenger and strive upon earth to cause corruption is none but but they be killed or crucified, or that their hands and feet be cut off from opposite sides, or that they be exiled from the land. That is for them a disgrace in this world, and for them in the hereafter is a great punishment, except for those who return repenting before you apprehend them, and know that Allah is forgiving and merciful. So I don't know if that necessarily counts as apostasy, but they're basically saying anyone who goes against... Allah, or his messenger, uh, obviously Muhammad. And I think I mentioned before that that passage starts out with, because of that we decreed upon the children of Israel, which I think may actually be referring to uh, the Jewish people. I think the Jewish people and um, other non-Muslim but Abrahamic peoples, uh, Christians, whatever, um Samaritans, was it? Samaritans too, maybe? Not Samaritans, Sabians. I think uh, the Sabians were an ancient group living in what is modern-day Yemen. One less thing to correct next week, I guess. But these non-Muslim followers of the other Abrahamic religions are referred to sometimes in the Quran, I believe, as people of the book. Children of Israel, I don't know if that's specifically... um, the Jews, perhaps. But either way, it seems like it can be interpreted as saying, "Oh, we're not saying this to everyone. We're telling, we're telling you, the children of Israel. And, and it goes on to tell them, you know, whoever kills a soul or, or a person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then the bit about crucifixion or, um, or having their hands and feet cut off uh, from opposite sides or being exiled. It's actually Wednesday night as I record this, and I may return through the magic of editing and and go on with the show for a bit longer. Uh, I think I'm going to have a super busy weekend coming up, and I wanted to make sure I got a new episode out for you guys, Um, so I kind of started my recording a little early. So maybe I'll uh, sit back down tomorrow night and uh, record a little more and tackle you know maybe one more topic or segment or whatever all right till then all right so uh i'm back through the magic of editing as promised it's not thursday it's now sunday um almost 9:30 wow the weekend's gone i uh, wake up for work at like 7 tomorrow um i am exhausted from everything that went down this weekend I'm not going to go into everything that happened, but I'm just glad I'm back in my little hobbit hole and uh, recording uh, the podcast once again. I was going to say recording this podcast is like therapy to me, but I actually go to real therapy as well, like talk therapy like once a month. I've been into all that before, the uh, depression, chronic headaches, neuroticism, blah, blah, blah. But uh, this podcast is a very positive force in my life. And if I get stressed out or if I feel exhausted by the outside world, I do get a sense of comfort or purpose um, from just sitting back down and, you know, doing this podcast. Uh, but I think uh, one reason why I didn't continue recording the show this past Thursday, I had begun recording it uh, on Wednesday night, is. Um, I wanted to put it on hold because I thought there was something more important to do. Uh, so we all know about the devastation that's been wrought on Puerto Rico by Hurricane Maria. Well, I released a special episode. I think it might have just been simply entitled Hurricane Maria Disaster Relief. It And it entailed me reading the personal story with their permission of a listener whose family was deeply impacted by Hurricane Maria, uh, she's in the states, but her family is still in Puerto Rico, and uh, yeah, family members who've lost homes, who've had property destroyed, whose homes are flooded, who are in literally in life-threatening danger because they have a medical ailment and they're not receiving the proper treatment uh, because of all you know, the, the chaos and damage in the wake of uh, Hurricane Maria. Um, just very, very serious stuff. And I, I don't know how many people have listened to the audio version of that, but I know YouTube is very strange and fickle. I've been on YouTube uh, several years now, and to be frank, to be completely honest, it's it's very odd trying to predict how many hits a particular video I publish will get. Sometimes the views are laughably small. Um, I'm talking like maybe 40 views or something like that. Other times, I'll go back and look at an episode I've done and my jaw drops at the hits. Like I think my uh the One of the Christmas specials I did, I think the one on Krampus, has like uh, at least 7,000 views. An episode I did in response to uh, Sam Harris and his interview with Omar Aziz, I think it was, that has thousands and thousands of views. And there's some little atheist clips I have up there that aren't mine, I just found them interesting and published them, maybe little short clips of Bill Maher or Christopher Hitchens and stuff, and some of those have hundreds of thousands of views, but I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, I'm sharing something that's, you know, and I try not to, I don't monetize that stuff, but sometimes if it's um, picked up by the copyright algorithm, the owner may copyright, I mean, may monetize those videos. So uh, I think there are Bill Maher videos and stuff on my channel that are being monetized, but the money, and understandably, rightly so, goes to the rightful copyright holder. And um, there's those videos, the views are through the roof, but my own, my own original content, the best I've done is probably like in between like 7,000 or 10,000 or 12,000 views or something like that, which ain't bad, but it's small time in comparison to really popular YouTubers who get millions of views or hundreds of thousands of views. Um, And I'm just the reason why I don't know why I'm rambling so much about this stuff. But the point I'm trying to make is if people don't find something particularly sexy or eye-catching, if it doesn't pique their curiosity, uh, you know, a particular video may get... Practically, you know, virtually no hits. Like I said, maybe like 40 hits or something. And the last time I checked on the Hurricane Maria disaster relief video, I think it had 22 hits after... i I try trying to remember if I published it on, I think, Thursday. Thursday night. And um, I feel bad. I I don't feel bad for me. Um, Don't get me wrong. I am completely... Capable of self pity. There have been times when I've thought I've done a really good episode, and I see that, and it had you know uh, I publish it on YouTube, and it has next to no hits, and it's not a good feeling. But this time I feel bad because um, the listener, I I told her in that episode, I directly addressed her, and said, you know, Liz Marie. Once again, I don't know if she wants me giving out her whole name, but I I used her first name, Liz Marie. I said, uh, feel free if you want to, to go to the Facebook post, uh, the YouTube video and put any links you want underneath in the comments section, even links that will directly help your family. So, and, uh, Liz Marie seemed excited. She seemed thankful that I created that video and, uh, I felt bad that there was only like, 22 hits last time I checked because this is something where if people went to that video and chose to monetarily help her family or even if you watch that video, there's also links to help Hurricane Maria victims in general. You know, if you're the suspicious type who doesn't like giving directly to a private individual, there's, uh, I give um... A link to a PBS article that gives tips about how to safely donate money or supplies. And I also gave the address for a Puerto Rican atheist group that is coupled with American atheists to help out Hurricane Maria victims. So that's why I feel bad that this video got so little traction or whatever, is that I know this is a video that could actually really help people. So if you want, I mean, you know, listen to the audio version. And I know that I know what it's like to just scrape by, you know, week to week. And I know people don't have infinite financial resources to throw around. But if you are the type of person who does like to give to charity, you're in the habit of giving to charity, or you just feel like doing something Now, you know, you feel inspired. You can listen to the audio version and go to one of those links I mentioned if if you want to try to help Hurricane Maria victims. And if you want to help the family of Liz Marie, that listener, directly, you can go to my YouTube channel and look for the recent video, Hurricane Maria Disaster Relief, and look for Liz Marie's reply in the comments. And there's a link where, you know, you can help her help her family. Um, But yeah, I I guess that's enough about that. And I hope I actually, instead of just navel-gazing and waxing philosophical, I hope this time I actually did some uh, tangible good and maybe inspired some people to help people in need. But uh, I'll leave that part there. Maybe I'll try to quickly take on one more topic before I call it quits. And I should add that I hope this podcast helps people in general, maybe people wrestling with the big existential questions, uh, fellow non-believers who are looking for, you know, solidarity or hearing the point of view of a like-minded individual, uh, maybe people who are on the fence, you know, agnostics, um, people caught between theism and atheism. Uh yeah, I mean, people who just maybe like, this might sound pretentious, but people who like philosophical content or people who like you know, intellectual food for thought, um, I hope this podcast in general provides some people out there with, uh, with some solace or comfort that offers some people a sense of solidarity or camaraderie or at least some entertainment. I know I'm probably not being a barrel of laughs right now. But anyway, um, maybe this next little segment will lighten the mood, or maybe not. It's a clip I isolated from an interview Jesse Ventura conducted with Henry Rollins, legendary punk rock icon, uh, Henry Rollins. And I think this took place back when, not that, maybe a few years ago or something, when Jesse Ventura had a show on RT. It's very short, about a minute and 30 seconds long, and it's just them talking about their mutual, uh, I would say, atheism, but uh, Henry Rollins doesn't necessarily like self-identifying as an atheist, so they talk about uh, that difference a bit.
1: We both don't believe there's a God, and we both don't believe in the afterlife, yet I call myself an atheist, and you claim, Henry, that you aren't one. Can you right. explain why you why do you don't you see yourself as an atheist like I do? Uh, I just think it takes a lot of energy to run around and say there is no God, and for me, I I just don't have that. However, if if someone else does, I really am not going to be uh, someone to argue with them, and that's why I wouldn't go as far as to call myself an atheist. Perhaps technically I am. Is this that I really respect someone else's space. And so I just uh, really try and leave other people alone to do, to do that. Now, Henry, why, uh, give me your, your version. Why do you say there's not a God? Uh, I just think you live and you should live fully as possible. And then you die. I just don't have any evidence to refute that notion. None at all. So like even though the Bible writes all these things and the Quran writes all these things, you're not buying into it. Uh, those are people who didn't have democracy, the Internet, electricity, Libraries, uh, uh, <laughs> telecommunication, or uh, jet airfare to go anywhere. And so uh, I, I can't take those books as seriously as I can take cutting edge science and breakthroughs in medicine.
0: Okay, and, and there it is. And I loved uh, <laughs> my favorite response, might have been from a YouTube viewer who goes by the handle of Dark Souls Fanboy 865. And he says, I don't see how not calling yourself an atheist would be respecting someone else's space. You should be able to freely express your opinion to someone. If they can't take it, then screw them. Less diplomatic than my approach and, and uh, definitely more ballsy. And I, I actually I actually like that's basically my view, too. Uh, I love both Henry Rollins and Jesse Ventura. Uh, sometimes I, I don't have to agree with everything someone... Thinks or believes or says in order to like them or find them entertaining. Like, I don't agree with all of Jesse Ventura's um conspiracy theory beliefs, etc. Uh, I mean, I try not to be closed minded, I think sometimes a government can do things behind the scenes which we would deem as deceptive, uh, golf atonkin, yellow cake, etc. etc. But I do think, uh, you know, a lot of the conspiracy stuff, conspiracy theory stuff out there is, uh, you know, a bit down the rabbit hole and through the looking glass, you know, in in my opinion. But otherwise, uh, I like Jesse Ventura's, uh, uh, the fact that he's a fellow non-believer, that he's not afraid to say it. Uh, I just find him to be an entertaining person. Even though I'm left-leaning, I agree with a lot of his political views. Uh, I think he probably identifies as more as like a libertarian or an independent. And I love uh, Henry Rollins, too, an incredibly smart guy, a very important figure in the history of punk rock and, and rock music in general. Of course, you know, the singer of Black Flag, think he's uh i don't know what their status is nowadays but i think at least at one point he was friendly with with glenn with uh glenn yeah that glenn danzig with uh glenn danzig i think he might even have some kind of misfits tattoo or maybe that crimson skull or something i don't know uh i'm not sure (laughs) i'm trying not to create new things to uh correct or apologize for next time around um yeah, but I think I get where Henry Rollins is coming from. He's trying to be the nice guy. He's trying to have uh this live and let live attitude, which I think is very good. But in a way it's almost like he's borderline apologizing or, or being sheepish with his his uh with his atheism. Uh and, and he says something about how he doesn't have the energy to go around saying there is no god there is no god. And in some ways I think as I talk about a lot on this show I think that's kind of a stereotype, you know, people especially believers. And I think even me back when I just I identified purely as agnostic. I when I was like maybe in my early 20s or something, I used to view atheists as these smart arrogant people who just want who are like grinches who believed with 100% certainty there was no god. Well of course Most of us, most of us non-believers, atheists, whatever, we're technically probably agnostic atheists, meaning we're agnostic in the sense that we don't claim to know for certain that there is or isn't a God, but we're atheistic because we lack belief. We don't see compelling evidence to believe in a higher power, or an afterlife, or ghosts, or spirits, and especially the faith claims of man-made religion. And Liz Marie, she might be chuckling when when I say man-made religion, and a lot of people do, they think it sounds redundant, because she was like, What other other kind of religions are there? But I almost feel like I have to say it because it's me emphasizing the fact that I believe that religions aren't divinely inspired or revealed. I think they're just constructs. I think they truly are man-made. So like I always say, my atheism swings harder when we go from some vague notion of a higher power to specific supernatural faith claims by a man-made religion. Yeah, so it's not like as an atheist, you're just constantly going around going, there is no God, there is no God, smacking Bibles out of old women's hands or whatever. And I think sometimes talking about anything you're passionate about repeatedly, you know, like me, I've been doing this podcast for years now, it can feel exhausting or tiring sometimes. And I think it's probably not just with atheism, with any subject you're passionate about, you know, kind of... Uh, I don't want to say proselytizing because I'm not necessarily trying to convert anyone away from religion. I'm more trying to be as uh, you know as pretentious or grandiose. Once again, as it might sound, I'm just trying to be a voice of reason, and to use reason, common sense, and go on the evidence or lack thereof, and try to get at the truth. And here's things as I see them, as as honestly as I can you know, express. Yeah. So to reiterate, it can get exhausting talking about the same thing repeatedly, but I think, you know, if you're passionate about it, that it's not like a negative Exhaustion. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. What other kind of exhaustion is there? I don't know. Post-coital exhaustion or the exhaustion you experience after a good workout. Those might be kind of positive, I guess. You know, not exhausted like, oh, I don't believe in this anymore. I'm sick of this crap. It just, it takes a lot of energy to be passionate. But I think if you truly believe in what you're saying and you have a sense of conviction and purpose, uh that keeps you going no matter how exhausted you might feel at times. There's still that sense that you're fighting the good fight and there's purpose and value in, in what you, in what you're saying. Maybe it's like, you know, a college professor who teaches a certain subject because they're passionate about it, but I'm sure in some way it might get kind of tiring saying the same stuff year after year, just, you know, different faces but if you're passionate about the subject matter, you know there's a reason why you're continuing to slog on and uh, spread the good word. Uh, no pun intended. Even though I'm a non believer, I was raised Catholic, and uh, uh, you know, religious figures of speech still come easily. But with that, I guess I'll call it quits. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. If you want, personally, get in touch with me or share your opinions. The two best places to do that are probably Facebook, where I interact with listeners the most, uh, you know, the Weekend Out Facebook page, or in the YouTube comments section. I'm always checking in on the status of the YouTube videos I publish and reading uh, comments, but also Twitter. Twitter is also a good way to uh, get in touch with me personally. Uh, but yeah, please like the Facebook page. You can follow on Twitter, can check out the YouTube channel. If you do check out the YouTube channel, please uh, like, comment, uh, sus- subscribe. As uh, everyone says so annoyingly, um, if you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. That's where I host the feed for this show. Just go to Podbean and look for the Week in Doubt. Or um, the easiest way is to probably go to Patreon.com/slash The Week in Doubt. And you can support the show and, you know, what I'm doing for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you like. I want to try to introduce a list of Patreon supporters, you know, maybe at the end of every show, at least the end, you know, like a roll of the YouTube version. But I don't know if people who use their real names necessarily, you know, want their names uh, displayed week after week on an atheist podcast. Uh, And of course, once again, if you're looking for a way to support Hurricane Maria victims, you can check out that audio episode I released uh, recently, or you can check out the YouTube video, uh, Hurricane Maria Disaster Relief. And if you feel compelled to do so, if you want to help, uh, Liz Marie is a very good person, fellow non-believer, um... She herself, I think she was hesitant to share a way to personally donate. Um, You know, I I think she might have felt a little strange about it or whatever. Uh, But if you want to help her out directly, once again, you can find the link or links in the comment section of that YouTube video. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.